Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome and Happy New Year to everyone. This is our first show coming back from our winter break. Uh, you are here live with The Nonprofit Coach, and I'm Ted Hart, your host. As the announcer just uh, noted, you can call in and ask questions of our Page 2 expert. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see some folks in the chat room, so you are welcome to ask questions there. Uh, you can also email me your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. Uh, here on The Nonprofit Coach, as always, we start with Page 1 News. Today is such a big uh, show today. We have the leaders of the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance, GuideStar, and Charity Navigator. And our topic today is the overhead myth. I wanted to have these gentlemen uh, on my show all together to talk about this extremely important topic. We've talked about this topic without them in the past, and several of them have been on the show individually. But this is such a big show, we're going to uh, have a an abbreviated version of the page one news today to give them as much time uh, because we have three of them today uh, to cover their topics. So we're going to go right to our guest, Ava Aldrich, is here with the CFRE Minute. Ava, it's great to have you back on the show, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Ted, too. It's great to be back on your show. 
Well, we're uh, back from uh, our winter break, and we've got a, a big lineup uh, here uh, going into uh, the new year. And as always, every month we have uh, you here to share with us the latest information on some of the fascinating changes and the rapid growth of CFRE. So why don't you take it away and share with us the CFRE Minute. Happy to do that, Ted. And I'm really excited to be able to share some news that's going to have a real impact on candidates today. Uh, we have changed our testing vendor to Pearson View, and what that's going to mean for our certificates is that we have a greatly increased number of testing centers, both in North America and around the world. Uh, we're going from approximately 500 or so with our old vendor to over 2,000. So there should be much better opportunities for people to test more conveniently and closer to home. Uh, also, candidates will be able to schedule their exam for any time in the coming year. Uh, prior, they could only schedule for the immediate testing window. But now, as soon as individuals are approved, they can get a testing time that's going to work for them uh, throughout the remainder of the year. And finally, I think another thing that people will really love is they will get their test results upon completing the exam right there at the testing center. Right, no more waiting center. a couple of weeks. Yes, for no more waiting two weeks or so for the formal report to come in the mail. So well, we're excited by these things. This is a really exciting um, uh, change at CFRE. And as my listeners uh, know, this last year I completed the Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy uh, certification through the American College of Financial Services, and they use Pearson. So I can tell you that uh, I have uh, personal uh, 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 experience with that testing service over the the last year, having used them several times. They're terrific, easy to use, easy uh, to schedule, and uh, so I think this is uh, a great advance for CFRE. Well, good, Ted. I'm glad to hear that endorsement from you. We're very excited. Uh, you know, we listen very carefully to what our certificates tell us about their experience with testing. I mean, from the very beginning of our process through to the end, and you know, we really feel that the, these uh, new features are going to be things that we've been hearing people want and will really appreciate. And overall, we're hoping that this will make the testing experience. Um, Again, much more simple and also just much easier for people from beginning to end. That that is really terrific. And of course, you said lots of uh, additional testing centers. So this uh, presumably makes it a lot easier for people, no matter where they are, to uh, find a testing center maybe a little bit closer to home or work. Absolutely, Ted. There will be many more testing centers available in the U.S. and in Canada and everywhere else around the globe, too. So it's just another step that, that we're taking in order to make certain that people here in North America, which has long been the home of the CFRE credential, are very well served, and that we also have expanded outreach because, as you know, fundraising is an international and global profession, and CFRE is a global credential. Well, this uh, this is a big, uh, big advance. I know your numbers uh, for 2014 uh, were really uh, quite impressive. Do you want to share... Uh, sort of uh, how many uh, folks now carry the credential? Yes, we have experienced an increase. I believe we're about 5,400 now uh, over our 2013 results. 
which were around 5,100. And even more exciting for us, you know, every year we we set goals because we want to make certain that the CFRE credential uh, really is out there in the world in order to strengthen philanthropy and fundraising. And we were at 116% of uh, our our goal for initial certificates. In fact, for the first time, we exceeded 700-plus applications in the calendar year last year. And we also exceeded our recertification goal at 110%. Um, So we're very happy with those results. I think it goes to show that once people get their CFRE credential, they value it. And really the only thing that makes them give it up is retirement or switching out of the fundraising profession. Well, that's uh, fantastic news uh, for CFRE, and it's always a pleasure, Ava, to have uh, you here to share the latest information on this important global certification uh, for fundraisers. And, of course, uh, I urge all of my listeners to go to CFRE.org to learn all about the certification. If you don't currently uh, hold the certification, start making your plans uh, to stand with your professional colleagues uh, with the certification. So, Ava, thank you, and, again, Happy New Year. Thanks, Ted. Happy New Year to you, too. Terrific. We're now going to head on over to page two for this very big show on the overhead myth. In 2013, GuideStar, the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance, and Charity Navigator wrote an open letter to the donors of America in a campaign to end what they called the overhead myth, the false conception that financial ratios are the sole indicator of nonprofit performance. In a second letter that they released October 2014, which came to the attention of this show and certainly then put us on a path of wanting to have these fine gentlemen here on this show, uh, they invited nonprofits to do their part to focus donors' attention on what really matters, the organization's efforts to make the world a better place. Um, So they are now asking and they are coming here today to ask nonprofits and the social sector at large to join them as they move forward with an overhead solution and to knock down the overhead myth. Certainly a suggestion that this show supports. Uh, And so uh, today uh, we have uh, the leaders of each of the three groups. So we're going to start off because we want to make sure that we give everybody an opportunity. We're going to start off by introducing uh, each of the fine uh, gentlemen who lead these organizations um, and uh, give them an opportunity to make a sort of an opening remark about why they're involved, and uh, why this is important, then we're going to bring them all together for general Q&A today. Uh, Not in any uh, particular order, uh, but we're going to start with Art Taylor, who is the President and CEO of the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance. Uh, Mr. Taylor, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you, Ted, and uh, good afternoon to Jacob and Ken as well. Um, And they will be joining us in just a second. Great. Uh, really delighted to uh, to join you uh, this afternoon and your listeners to talk about this really important subject. Um, you know, what's so fascinating about this is that when you really think about what we're doing, it's kind of silly. And I try not to take myself too seriously sometimes when, when I talk about this topic because everyone should understand that charities need to spend money on overhead. 
But yet, well, right, why, why don't we start way. off? If you could, if you don't mind, <laughs> yeah, if, if sure, you could just sure. maybe start us off with uh, what is the overhead myth? What what is this myth that, as you're saying, it's kind of funny, but but I know you you mean it to be very serious in the discussion of how important <laughs> this is to the nonprofit sector. So, what is the overhead myth? Well, it's the notion that uh, charities that spend little to no money on overhead are somehow better than charities that don't. And there have been many studies that would prove that the amounts of money that a charity spends on overhead has virtually nothing to do with how effective they are or how impactful they are or even how trustworthy they are. And so we've got to do what we can to eliminate this myth so that donors support organizations that are truly worthy of their support and that charities begin to spend money on the things that really drive performance. Terrific. All right, I'm going to have you stop right there. I'm going to bring each gentleman in sure. and give them an opportunity to say what the overhead myth is. Then there's so many pieces of this that I want to discuss, and I know that you're you're eager to, to get all of your messages out, and I want to give you a platform today uh, to do that. So we're going to uh, get uh, Jacob Harold in here, uh, who is the CEO at GuideStar. Jacob, welcome back here uh, to the Nonprofit Coach. Always a pleasure uh, to have you here uh, on this show. But today you're here for a very important uh, purpose, and that is your organization's involvement uh, in fighting the overhead myth. What is the overhead myth uh, from your perspective? Sure, Ted. <clears throat> good to be here, and always good to be with my colleagues, Art and Ken. You know, the overhead myth, this idea that we can um, we can understand nonprofit performance through the lens of one financial ratio, um, it, it comes from an understandable place, and it comes from the fact that donors want to know that their money uh, is being put to good use. Um, so I, I, even as I absolutely reject the overhead myth, and I think that we as a field must step up and go beyond it, I think we should recognize that it, it does have roots in the best parts of, of human giving, which is wanting it to matter. Um, and so our challenge as a field is to say giving can matter, certain kinds of giving matter more, um, and to figure out how we provide guidance to donors to help them make good decisions uh, and to recognize that financial ratios are not going to cut it as that kind of guidance, but that as a field, we can step up and provide other kinds of information that help people make decisions so that they know that their dollars are being put to really good use. Terrific. And I'm going to bring uh, Ken Berger in here. Ken is uh, the leader of the Charity Navigator. Welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, Ken Berger. Um, from your perspective and that of uh, Charity Navigator, Jacob just mentioned uh, advice to donors. Of course, that's uh, an area that, that you uh, set out to specialize in. What is the overhead myth? Well, uh, it's great to be here once again as a member of the what we call ourselves sometimes the three musketeers on this. And um, we, we, you know, one of the things about the three of us I just want to say is that um, I think that uh, uh, we have somewhat different views, but we find that there certainly is enough commonality in our views to, 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 uh, to get to this place together. So, for example, in our case, we do think that overhead is a valid metric. We do think that overhead can be an indicator for extreme outliers, and I underline that, of that something could very well be awry. However, 
we take the view that it is a three-dimensional thing that you have to consider. You need to consider finances and other metrics on finances. You need to consider uh, the governance issues as well as the, uh, the measures of results and, uh, and, and the leadership. But so within that context, overhead should be a, a, <clears throat> a secondary measure and only a subset of the financial metrics. And so it should not be the prominent, sole, or primary focus. And so within that uh, context, we believe that it is a myth that uh, you know, overhead is the sole or primary thing that uh, people consider in making their decisions and completely agree with everything that um, Art and, uh, and Jacob said, that uh, um, you know, the fixation on this and uh, the oversimplification of this uh, and in most cases, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be a, a, a metric uh, for, you know, success because of the other things that are equal, if not more important. Uh, that's what we think leads to this myth. Well, I, I want to thank you all. So Art, Jacob, and, and Ken, thank you all for being here on the show. When, when I sat down with our producer, Diane Peach, and started looking at what were the topics that we wanted to, to cover, uh, without a doubt, we both agreed that starting the, the 2015 season for a nonprofit coach, this needed to be the topic because we've discussed this so many times in so many different ways um, here on the Nonprofit Coach and having you three as experts in this area drawing attention to the overhead myth. And uh, my listeners can go to overheadmyth.com and sort of follow along with some of the, the background information, the letters that, that you have issued uh, both to donors and to nonprofit uh, organizations are both uh, posted there. So I'm going I'm to start off um, with a, a bit of my perspective on this and ask you to sort of weigh in on this because I, I feel that this is an extremely important topic. But the topic is here, I think, because nonprofits are oftentimes their own worst enemy. It's almost like uh, as, a, as a, a group we're out there sort of trying to bid down, you know, I can do service for less money than, than uh, my neighbor can, so therefore you should uh, give me more money. And I, I think for donors, they get sort of lulled into this notion of, okay, if you don't spend any money on overhead, that, that's got to be a good thing. But I, I, most donors, if they step back and just ask themselves, they're also going to expect of that, of that same charity top-flight accounting, top-flight leadership, good staff management, all the things that go into the management of, of a strong organization. And that literally, gentlemen, cannot be done for pennies on a dollar. And I, and I feel like nonprofits have sort of backed themselves into a corner in making these pledges and promises uh, some saying 100% of their money goes to program, and there, there isn't anyone who uh, is reasonable who could ever believe that. So I want to kind of put that out there and ask uh, uh, each of you, or, or you know, as you as you want to, sort of respond to that and, and and ask you where do you feel that fits in the overall overhead myth. This is Jacob. I'll offer a couple of comments here. You know, I think this is this. Um, what you identified is, is very important, and it's something that we have to confront directly, which is that nonprofits, nonprofits bear a part of the responsibility for the overhead myth. There are many different players who, who bear a responsibility for the, the myth itself, whether they're journalists or donors themselves, but, um, or, or those of us on, on this call. But, but ultimately, nonprofits have probably contributed the most simply because 
they so often reinforce for donors that overhead ratios are a proxy for performance. And we, you know, we've estimated just the back of the envelope calculation that nonprofits send out a billion pieces of direct mail every year that highlight um, overhead ratios. We have trained donors to believe this. So it's now our responsibility to offer them an alternative. And that gets to the my second point, which is we have to ask nonprofits to proactively engage in an alternative, to share in a systematic way meaningful data about your results in the world, um, and that it is only through that kind of a proactive replacement of a bad metric with a good one that we're going to be able to to move, as Ken likes to say, from an overhead myth to an overhead solution. I think that's exactly right, uh, what, what Jacob says. This is art, and, um, you know, so much of, of what charities do uh, rely on the support of of good people who provide their resources. And, you know, what Jacob said earlier about people wanting to use some metric to get a quick read on charities is probably true. And um, so maybe that what they're really saying is um, we don't necessarily love this metric, but we don't know what else to use. And, um, and in the end, what they really want to know is whether they can whether they can trust a charity to actually deliver on what is promising. And so, what charities have to be mindful of is first tell people what it is that you are promising, and secondly, let them know that you're fulfilling that promise in some way, whether that be um, achieving your mission or operating your organization in a way that you actually have a chance to achieve a mission. Because striving to achieve goals, in my opinion, is very important in the nonprofit sector that very often is dealing with really tough problems, and sometimes you don't always achieve your goals. Uh, But if you're organized well and if you're trustworthy, then you still should be uh, enabling people to support you um, because because they trust you. And Art, I just wanted to jump in. This is Ted. I just want to say I, I think that is exactly right. Where we need to help guide nonprofits is in the notion of how to set goals that you can articulate and you can measure. Uh, I'm sure you folks uh, have lots of examples. I can't, I can't tell you how many nonprofits I provided counsel to. That as I start working with them, they have a budget. Um, that was probably put together in some you know, really archaic way that basically this is the money we need, not the money we can actually get. And there's nothing that backs that up to say, to say these are the things we're going to accomplish because so many nonprofits do not even know how to measure what they do. What they can measure is what's in their checkbook. What they can measure is the money that they need. But they may not even know things as simple as how many people we provided service to or the outcomes of that service uh, and and I think that's a message that we need to get across to nonprofits is how to articulate what you do, what you're measuring, and what your outcomes are. If I, if I could just jump in just to respond to the <clears throat> to the the whole notion that the nonprofits are their worst enemy, I, I actually think that there there's I certainly agree with everything said, and and there certainly is more than enough blame to go around. <clears throat> but if I was to put my finger on what I think the worst enemy is. 
It's the structure and the nature of how the nonprofit sector functions and that many nonprofit leaders are largely at the mercy of that system. And if they try too hard to get ahead of the paradigm and change it all by themselves, they could be very vulnerable. I think the fundamental structural problem of the sector is the ability to, um, to have the infrastructure and the capital to build performance management and measurement systems, to build the things that more and more funders are requiring, the money's not there. And the vast majority of funders, foundations, government, and others are typically not willing to pay for what is required to do the things we're talking about here. And so the nonprofit is, is in a sense, a victim of that system as much as it is uh, a part of that, participant in that. And so it, in large measure, I think this structural problem we have, it requires a paradigm shift. And I think part of what the three of us are trying to do here is to help to push that paradigm shift to, to educate everybody out there that, hey, you know, if you want the nonprofits to measure in a meaningful way, and if you want donors to get the information they require, we're going to have to invest seriously in the sector in a way that we traditionally haven't, and the structure of the sector resists it because there isn't, uh, you know, the ability to acquire capital in the ways that you might in other sectors of the economy. Well, the work that you folks are doing is ex so extremely important. I, I wonder if you think, uh, if you could respond to, do you think that without your efforts being put out there that we would have seen a Gates Foundation uh, leader, Dr. Susan Desmond Hellman, come out and make such a clear statement about the inevitable imbalance of power between donors and grant recipients and talking about sort of this arrogance of power um, do you, I, as soon as I read that, that article um, that, uh, that was posted in the Chronicle of Flansby, I immediately thought of the work that you folks are doing in drawing attention to this. You know, I would say, um, you know, I, I, we certainly cannot take credit for that. I mean, there are so many allies that we have out in the field who are Oh, let's take credit. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from the great work that the Bridgespan Group has done on providing the framework of the nonprofit starvation cycle in the seminal article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review to great work on the ground in Chicago led by the Donors Forum, the national level work focused in particular on government policy as it relates to overhead led by the National Council on Nonprofits. We, we are operating in the context of many allies who are addressing different parts of this problem. But I do think it's true that we who are lucky enough to be in leadership positions of key institutions in the field do have a special responsibility to try and drive this forward. And I do definitely see over the last few years an acceleration around this issue. And that gives me hope that, that we um, are, are not just hoping and praying for something that will never happen, but we are starting to see meaningful change in the way this issue is talked about. And I think we're starting to see meaningful uh, alternatives offered to uh, to overhead. So I am quite confident. And when you see an announcement like what we had from, from Dr. Desmond Hellman, it's, it's very, very encouraging that, that we may actually get somewhere on this. You had mentioned um, that there needs to be investment in the sector to change the paradigm. Uh, what does that mean? What kind of investment? Where would it come from? And, and, and how do we get this word out uh, beyond sort of the trickle that we see right now? Typically, uh, you know, one, one hopes that the uh, foundation sector 
is a place that would encourage innovation and um, you know new new vantage points, as as you mentioned in the case of the Gates Foundation. So you know there's a hope that at least some uh, subset of of the foundations will move away from their their former way of um, structuring funding and so forth to encourage more infrastructure investment to encourage the tools and the training to support the organizations to get to where they need to get to we you know there are some preliminary encouraging efforts in that regard but a lot more of that needs to happen and of course there's been some efforts from uh, the government side um, the IRS and the I'm sorry not the IRS the the you know Obama administration's work on social innovation but again, it's really it's really just a starting point. A lot more of that needs to be got, done. Hopefully, some high net worth individuals that that get it. We see some indicators there, but um, there needs definitely to be more convening, more getting together. I hope the groups, some of the you know associations of nonprofits, will become more outspoken in this. And I also think just behind the scenes, as each uh, leader of a nonprofit, as they meet with their board, I think it's critically important to educate boards on this and that uh, oftentimes the obstacles even for a foundation board as well that the 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 leader may be on board but the board needs to get on board what what specifically um, you have the the platform right here all three of you what specifically would you say to board members if you were standing at a board meeting uh talking about this topic hmm well the i would say first of all um it's it's the responsibility of every board to make sure that the organization has a clear sense of what it's in business to do and a plan to achieve those to achieve that mission and um it should of course be uh monitoring its work to make sure that it's uh living within what it is trying to do um and part of that is structuring the finances of the organization so that it can actually achieve those goals. And how many organizations have we all come across that are simply um, operating in a way to receive funding, even if the funding they receive has absolutely nothing to do with the mission? And um, so I think organizations get very easily distracted uh, by this quest to raise funds and um so we need we need boards first of all i think to to have clear goals uh clear uh missions operate in a way that is in alignment with those missions and seek funding to uh to do what their planning says they're out in business to do uh and not chase dollars for the sheer sheer sake of of just staying in business that's one thing i would say to them I would add just, you know, the first thing I'd say to the board is, so uh, as as a leader, uh, as, a, as a CEO or whatever the position is of the individuals that are talking to them, the first thing is to say this, uh, you know, the most important thing of all to change the world is for us to know that we are measuring our work to make certain that we are in fact doing that to the fullest extent possible. I would urge them to show videos like Saving Philanthropy and some of these other uh, examples that show how powerfully an organization can change and be even more effective if it's performance-driven and, and it has those systems in place. So once they get it, they get the vision of how critical that is and how game-changing that is, then the next thing is, what can we do 
within our existing funding uh, to build a plan to get from where we are today to where we have to get to to be the most effective that we can be and to do our part to change the paradigm, to educate our funders and whatnot. But first, you've got to catch the vision and explain how to move beyond the overhead myth and to get to the solution. We must build these systems internally to be results-focused and to be able to share that information with the world. And Ken, anything in particular you'd want to say to that board? Uh, uh, did, I thought I just answered that. I think that <laughs> okay. Was Ken. Oh, I thought. Okay, Jacob. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, to, to what I would just say is to go back to the mission, and you know, it's so easy for us to um, get stuck in organizational politics, in the specifics of you know a given um, you know financial projections of a strategic plan, and to forget why we're doing this in the first place. And that we are not doing this to grow our organizations or to get our own glory. We're doing it to meet missions in the world, to serve people and communities and ecosystems and ideals. And then every once in a while, we just have to step back and to think about how are we going to do that in a way that's excellent and in a way that's ethical um, and in a way that gets those lasting results. And that might mean, for example, that we have to take a short-term hit in certain kinds of fundraising. It might even mean that we shrink a little bit in an organization and we become a very high-performing $8 million organization instead of a flailing $10 million a year organization. And yeah. that is a victory for the world. And that is something that when we return to the mission, we can take a breath and say, how do we really achieve this mission? Yeah, Jacob, I think you bring up such a, uh, an important point there because uh, you know, I've done a lot of board training, and one of the first things I, I often do when I'm, I'm with a board of directors is to take them back to their mission. And it's surprising how many board members cannot state the mission of the organization. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that they come to board meetings, and most of the time that they spend is on evaluating the organization against the current budget as opposed to stepping back to say, what is the mission, what are we doing, what should we be doing, and are we the most effective organization doing that that we can be? Well, you know, that's true. And, and if you look at our – this is Art um, just jumping in. The last letter um, pretty much lays out um, the important things that we want organizations and boards to do. And the first is to manage your organization so that you can you can achieve results, to put the resources behind your organization so that you can achieve results, and then to manage your organization so that you can demonstrate that you're trustworthy. Um, those are the three tenets that I would I would say that we want all boards and organizations to consider, and they do those things. We will certainly go far in. Um, in reducing the extent to which people rely on overhead, both organizations and donors. What was the response to the second letter compared to the first? Jacob, it's interesting. I, think, yeah. I don't know who's I mean, collecting data on this. Jacob, you may want to say something about that. Um, well, I mean, but, what, uh, what I'd, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, what I'd say is, that we, um, you know, it's been a very positive response, but it's more work for nonprofits to actually begin to address this issue. Um, and I think all three of our organizations and many others in the field, we ourselves have some work to do to build up the platforms, to create the tools, to 
make it easier for nonprofits to share other kinds of data. Um, and so it's certainly been positive, but I think there's also a recognition that, you know, it, this doesn't happen magically. We, we've got some work ahead of us. When, but but when at, the, at the same time, I just would I just would add that you know um, you know the the real the reality that the, one of the dilemmas with the first letter that made it essential to I think to do the second letter was that if we you know, if we're saying to donors don't look at overhead look at results and yet the vast majority of nonprofits currently are unable and I'm not blaming them entirely for this but are unable to report results. We're essentially having donors – we're telling donors to sit on their hands and look at nothing. And it's essential that we make this change so that the first letter can truly resonate and get all the traction it requires. If you're not going to look at overhead and you want to look at results, you've got to have the results to show. I think that's such a powerful statement. And, and how do we make that happen? How do we train nonprofits to think differently? How do we let them know that uh, – uh, these are the things that you should be measuring. These are the goals that, that are reasonable to, to be set. And we're going to talk about that as soon as we come back from this break. And we are here with Art Taylor, Jacob Harold, Ken Berger, and we are talking today about the overhead myth. And gentlemen, we'll be right back. Very quickly, I just want to make sure that you know on your calendars, uh, we will be here live on the Nonprofit Coach next Tuesday, uh, and we will have Rob Mitchell, who will be sharing uh, us with the latest information from the Atlas of Giving, uh, which is both what happened in 2014, but also what is he predicting from his model about fundraising in 2015. We have a, a quick message here from uh, Google. Uh, and then we are going to head right back over to this fascinating show on the overhead myth. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call to action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. 
To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are live here on the Nonprofit Coach with Art Taylor, President and CEO of the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance, Jacob Harold, President and CEO of GuideStar, and Ken Berger, President and CEO of Charity Navigator. Uh, gentlemen, what comes next? How do we actually... Uh, make this happen. You've raised such an important topic. It's one that I've been hoping that the sector would grasp uh, uh, very seriously, and it, and it seems that you've got some some early momentum here. But I think for the average nonprofit organization uh, who may just be hearing about this through this show, um, how do they start turning this corner towards measurable outcomes that they should be sharing with their donors? I, th I well, think if you if you go to the uh, overhead myth, you'll 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 see a lot of resources and recommendations there, as well as encourage people to sign on to it as a starting point. But that's just the beginning. I, I would I would also say that um, there are probably lots of organizations out there that are um, reticent to to state what they're about and to put goals in writing so that everyone can see them because what they're trying to achieve is difficult. And you don't often um, um, achieve everything that you set out to do. And so people uh, are fearful in a world where we're quick to criticize that if they don't achieve these goals that they set out to achieve, that they will be criticized as being ineffective. And, Somehow we've got to free organizations of that fear. Um, we have to understand that what nonprofits are doing is extremely difficult, and oftentimes you don't achieve your goals, and maybe that's okay, but you should be learning from the things that you don't do, and you should be building systems to make sure you're not making the same mistakes again and again, and you should be spending time making sure that you're not doing more harm in your programs than good. This is all positive for the nonprofit sector. This is all positive for organizations. But um, if, we're, if we're fearful of putting ourselves out there, if we're fearful of stating what we're about and, and how we intend to go about our work and what we're trying to achieve, in the end, I think we hurt nonprofits, and we certainly hurt, hurt those who are depending on our services. I just want to say amen to that and that uh, it, it, the key here, and I think sometimes this gets lost in this whole focus on moving towards outcomes and results, it's really not the organization that has the most gangbuster results and hits the ball out of the park every time and can you know, report that alone that is really what we're talking about. I think Art really nailed it. It's about we're, we're looking to find learning and adaptive organizations that are striving to improve over time and learn from their mistakes and do better and better at measuring the results. Because results, it's not like a snapshot in time. It's something that evolves. 
And, and given the state of the sector, to assume that we're going to have all these organizations having amazing results and measuring everything tomorrow, it's not where we are. It needs to be organizations that are striving in that direction and to try to cultivate them and encourage those organizations to get on this path and feel safe to get on this path. I, there's the point. There's a point that you just said, feeling safe. How yeah. can we help nonprofits feel safe in a world that still exists in the paradigm uh, that uh, the Gates Foundation mentioned? Baby steps. <laughs> you got to say, you got to, you know, I think, I think you need to start from, from where you are within the, within your unique capacity and say, how can we begin this process? What can we do first? Perhaps there's one or two programs, perhaps it's uh, some preliminary uh, planning on this and looking for where we're going to get the funding to build the infrastructure. It really is, 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 is one step at a time, trying to join associations of others that are moving in this direction, such as the Overhead Myth Campaign and other efforts like that, so that it gives you some cover, but also it gives you the opportunity to, part- to participate. But I, but I do think it, it is, it is um, incremental, and we really are in the early stages, and we're looking for early adopters. It does take a certain amount of courage to step outside of the, the box that we're often forced into. Um, so it t- also takes those special qualities to be willing to take a certain level of risk. And, and so I think you anytime you're trying, you're trying to change a, the behavior in a marketplace, there's three pieces that you want to change. You want to change the supply of something. In this case, we want more good information that people can use instead of overhead ratios. You want to change the demand for it. We want to teach donors to help ask the right question. And then you need some kind of architecture to bring those two together. And, and that's what all three of our platforms try to provide. And in the case of GuideStar in particular, it's the GuideStar Exchange as a mechanism that more than 100,000 nonprofits have used to share other kinds of data that go beyond these financial ratios. And so, you know, when you, it's going to take a while as we have to push along all three of those different strategies. On your, uh, on your website, the overhead uh, myth, uh, and I do encourage all of my listeners to go there. Uh, you can sign up uh, for um, your, your newsletter or to get information from you. But when you click on tools and resources, there, there really is an awful lot there to uh, help organizations, as you say, manage towards results and understand uh, your true costs. So part of, part of I think, the solution here um, is to educate yourself, then educate your board, um, and then have the courage of conviction to educate your donors. Well done. Well that's said. That's exactly right. It's, that's exactly right. And I want to believe that funders that are supporting organizations because they believe in their mission will also give these organizations room to fail. And by failing, I don't mean um, having the CEO abscond with the money. (laughs) What I do mean is an organization that has a clear sense of what it wants to accomplish, states those goals, puts logical programs in place to achieve those goals, and lo and behold, it doesn't quite hit the mark when uh, the numbers are measured. Okay. Uh, I would hope that there are funders out there that would stand up and say, we're going to continue to support that organization because they had good processes. In the end, it didn't work out. We want to study why it didn't work out. And then we're going to put some money into um, another round so that we can do it the right way. 
That's right. what but we isn't that part of the courage of the courage of conviction is to understand your goals strong enough to be able to explain what it is that you're learning, not not even I always try to give practical advice, and I know you folks do as well on on the show uh, to everyone who's listening. And and I think you know rather than looking at how do I explain the failure, it's to build into your funding request, build into the way that you view your organization, the opportunity to learn and to grow and to manage change, uh, which I suppose you could see part of that as failing to meet the immediate goals. But what is it that you're going to do to adapt, to continue to strive towards that goal? Absolutely. Uh, you know, just uh, just to add to that, uh, I think uh, in, in our case at Charity Navigator, as we've been evolving the rating system, so how are we going to reflect adaptive organizations? How are we going to encourage failure, if you will, to get to learning? Um, our our Changed syst- our changing system is basically asking the question, how do you uniquely decide how you're going to measure your, your results? And if you can explain it in a reasonable way, then you could do well in this rating context. And the notion uh, is if it turns out that you measured and you didn't do well, as long as you uh, share with us so we can understand the logic of it, um, you don't have to have gangbuster results to get a, to get a, a positive result from from the way we measure this, uh, we would like to see in the in the out years, in the future years, that you've learned from this and you're, you're going to measure some new things. But as long as you're continuing to test and measure and learn, that's the key. And I hope funders will have that view as well. In fact, Charity Navigator with the Hewlett Foundation, two years into funding we had for this whole new part of our rating system, we said we made a mistake. And what we think we were going to measure is not right, and here's why, and here's how we're going to uh, correct and measure something differently. Um, and so I think that that needs to happen more, that we need to have funders that we can ex- have this kind of dialogue with. It's hard at first, but uh, more funders need to be able to say, look, they're learning, they're adapting, they're doing their best. This is uncharted territory, and they need to have, uh, encourage uh, nonprofits to do that. Gentlemen, uh, any any other uh, comments on that? Cause I, I I really like the the website. I mean, it's, a, it's a simple website. It's not overly flashy, which I think is good. But but I think it's really worth my listeners exploring uh, this uh, because you've got you know excellent reading lists uh, in there to to read Leap of Reason uh, by Mario Marino. I think that that's you know it's certainly a good place to go. Uh, breaking down even some of the the uh, assets of each of your own websites, where you know certainly it's there, but I think that when people go to uh, large websites like each of you have, sometimes it's hard to know where to go. And I and I see in your in your uh, your breakdown here where you're drawing attention to specific metrics, specific tools uh, that are available. So you know, going back to as I, as I mentioned before, sort of this three part process, you know, maybe to break it down for for my listeners. Um, you know, to to you know, spend you know two or three months going through this website, reading the content, sort of digesting it and training yourself, and then determining you know how can you train your board and 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 get some allies and some partners within your organization to build this uh, this strong matrix of measurement that doesn't set you up for failure, um, but it gives a true measure of uh, the accomplishments of your organization, and then go big and be confident in sharing that with your donors to say, this is who we are, this is what we're prepared to measure, and this is what we're asking you to, to support. 
if we had examples of charities going through that kind of process, it seems to me that you folks get even more traction. Well, absolutely, and I think the organizations would feel better about their work if, to the extent that they're not doing that right now. Who wants to work for an organization and you don't even know what the goals of the organization are or, or how the work that you're doing fits into the, the overall uh, objectives of the organization? I don't think anybody wants to really be a part of a group like that because chances are there's going to be a lot of chaos, a lot of angst, um, and a lot of unnecessary energy spent on things that really aren't driving the mission. So um, forget about what the public wants. Who wants to work for an organization that is not doing some of these basic things? And um, so I would say you're right, Ted. Let's get the organizations talking about it. Let's get people inside of these charities having dialogue about the importance of setting goals and measuring and sharing uh, those, at least internally, and then, you know, having the courage to go to funders and making bold statements about how they want to make their mark in their element of, of the nonprofit sector. Gentlemen, because I've got three of you, I always watch, uh, watch my time here. We've got about eight minutes left, and I want to uh, ask each one of you to, uh, to do two things for me. Sort of summarize where we're at and where you think we need to go, and then um, make sure that my listeners know how they can reach you or your organizations or however you want to be uh, connected. And why don't we start with uh, uh, Ken Berger at Charity Navigator. Uh, wow. Um, so where, where we're at is at, I think we're still at the early stages of this. I think um, we, we, as the three organizations together, are hoping to uh, do some additional letters. We, I think maybe there'll be letters to foundations, to government, to corporations, and who knows what else. So I hope that this um, effort will continue and that we'll continue to work together to, to change uh, the, the paradigm uh, and so that's, I think, where we're going collectively here at Charity Navigator. We're, we're planning to fully launch. Uh, we're in the midst of gathering the data, but by 2016, we want to start rating organizations. That includes the question of results in some way, adaptive learning. And then, um, so, uh, you know, I guess just to say, if anybody wants to, to reach out to, to me, uh, probably the easiest way is just you can look me up on LinkedIn and reach me there. It's it just... Uh, that's probably the fastest way to get to me. And, of course, our website, charitynavigator.org. Terrific. Jacob Harold uh, over at GuideStar. Sure. You know, what I would say is I hope that nonprofit leaders on this call, that you can go away knowing that we're, we're doing our best to have your back on this and that um, – we, um, and that you can know with some confidence that many of the leading institutions in the field, I mean, you mentioned the Gates Foundation, Ted, are, are really stepping up on this question. And so the momentum is building. Um, and related to that, one tactical thing that we didn't mention is that the letters are under a Creative Commons license, which means that anyone on this call can print out as many copies as you want, put them in your direct mail, post them on your website, whatever you want that, that can help. Um, help give you cover for some of these conversations. Good point. Um, and 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 know that that we you know we're really trying to to provide that support to the field as a whole. Um, probably the easiest way to reach me is actually through Twitter, um, and my Twitter handle is uh, at Jacob C Harold, J A C O B C H A R O L D. Terrific. And uh, Art Taylor over the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance. 
Well, yeah, I would I would agree with what's been said, and uh, we're we're just a baby, and we haven't quite learned how to walk. But I would say that we're a screaming baby. We're, we're making a lot of noise, and uh, <laughs> and 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 so you know the parents of this baby are, are really you know uh, are feeling uh, a lot of good stress about the healthiness of the baby, you know, and um, I think over time this baby is going to grow and it's going to be uh, a smart baby. It's going to be a fast baby. It's going to be a strong baby and it's going to do great things in the world. Um, I would, I would mainly like to thank all of the organizations that have uh, taken this message to heart and have begun to do things in their organization and with other organizations. Uh, I go to, and I'm sure my colleagues do as well. Many, uh, uh, conventions and conferences where this topic is on the agenda. Um, I'll be going to one uh, soon in uh, Florida where uh, th- this will be discussed among some corporate contributions executives, which is also great to hear. So uh, let's keep the dialogue going. And, and you can reach me at, at Wise Giving on Twitter. And our website, of course, is give.org. And we have lots of information there for you. Uh, to 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 reach out uh, and and use. Well, gentlemen, I want to uh, first of all thank you for your time today. I also want to thank you for your leadership uh, in this extremely important topic. Uh, I also want to encourage my listeners to do just what's been suggested here, uh, and that is uh, to go uh, to overheadmyth.com, learn more about this topic, educate yourself, educate your board, and then have the courage and confidence to be able to take these issues and take what you measure and the difference that you make to your donors. And I think if if we can turn that corner, I think the message that that you folks uh, brought to us very loud and clear today is that we can bring more success to organizations if we can help them focus on the good that they do rather than uh, chasing sort of this funding factory uh, or, as was mentioned earlier, chasing money that um, you know it looks like good money but requires you to sort of change uh, who you are. So an important first step. I also hope each one of you may share this podcast uh, with those who rely on you for information. Uh, the link for this podcast is exactly the same as we all used on Twitter uh, to promote uh, today's show. Um, as one of many ways to help get the message out and break it down for people who might feel that it's just a bit too daunting to think about changing the way that I communicate with my donors. Uh, But I think we all owe it to the sector uh, to get this right. So uh, Art Taylor, Jacob Harrell, Ken Berger, thank you very much for your time today, and I hope each one of you uh, will come back as you issue your your additional letters, uh, perhaps together. We'd love to always have you back together. Uh, or individually when you have important topics for the nonprofit sector. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Glad to be here. And to all of uh, all of my uh, listeners, uh, remember that uh, we have a live show uh, next Tuesday, so uh, we look forward to being right back here in one week's time. Thank you, everyone. Uh, have a great week. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.